So this year, 2019, as you know, our prophecy team prayed for the church and the direction of the church. And the overarching theme for this year is, this is a year of joy, okay? So how do we, how do we get that joy? How do we operate? How do we walk in that joy? And how do we keep that joy being a continual thing in our lives, in our walk? And, you know, it's such a difficult thing because the world that we live in, it's nothing but constant ebb and tide of bad news, isn't it? There's, there's hardly any reason to rejoice hardly anymore. But as Christians, we should be the most positive, joy-filled people on the planet. And so I think we need to regain that. We need to get that back in our spirits, and we need to begin to model how to be a people of joy. Unbeknownst to me, I had no idea it was a thing, but I guess everything's a thing now. Today is the, the National Day of Joy. Does anybody know that? It showed up on one of my feeds that I follow, and I thought it was a joke at first, but I checked it out, and there's literally a National Day of Joy, and June 26th is the National Day of Joy, so happy Joy Day, everybody, <laughs> whatever that means. But what does it mean? Um, scripture today, if you have a handout, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And if you've ever heard me speak, you know this is one of the scriptures that I constantly harp on because it's one of my favorite scriptures, but it's such a practical scripture, and it's a scripture that applies to just about anything. And as a counselor, it's fun, probably one of my most go-to scriptures when I'm counseling people. Because so many people will come to you and say, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And they struggle. You know, what is it that God wants from me? What does God want me to do? And I can look them in the eye and I can tell them with confidence, I know exactly what God's will is for you. And they get so stymied. But all I do is I turn to 1 Thessalonians and I say, read this. And it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Why? Because this is God's will. This was written by the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Thessalonians, and it's under the heading of final instructions. So whenever someone's giving you final instructions, don't you pay a little extra attention? Uh, you know, whenever so someone says, in closing, or uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say, um, this is all I have to say in the matter, it kind of perks you up, doesn't it? It kind of gets you on the edge of your seat. It's kind of like, all right, I've got to pay attention to this because this is going to be the last thing that they say. And that's what Paul says. He says, this is kind of my final instruction. A lot of people think that this is a commandment, some people will say that these three uh, attributes are commandments. I'm not sure I would call them commandments, but they would be good commandments if they are commandments, and you can consider them to be commandments. But I, I like the heading in my Bible. It says final instructions. So I feel they're really important instructions for our lives because it's God's will in Christ Jesus. So if you could do just three things, I would say I would do five things. I would do Commandment number one and commandment number two. Commandment one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one, Jesus says, is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So those are commandments. We have to do those. There's no disputing that. But then, on top of that, I would try to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. So this message tonight is a real stretch for me because two out of the three don't come easy, and the third one... I've really spent a lot of my life trying to hone in on the whole aspect of prayer. Um, I'm not necessarily known as a joyful person. I think I have a, a sense of humor, but my face is always a very serious face, so it's hard for people to think I'm filled with joy. And Thanksgiving has been a really hard thing for me in my life because um, as we get into the Thanksgiving part, I'll explain some of those reasons. But so I've, I feel I'm getting a handle, a slight handle on the prayer part, and the other two I'm really endeavoring to learn how to do. And hopefully tonight I can impart some inspiration to you so that you begin to do all three. And to a point where these three things are in your mind continually, and these three things become 
so ingrained in you that, that it becomes a lifestyle. Because that's what it has to be, right? It has to become a lifestyle to where you don't even think about it. It just comes naturally. So number one says, rejoice always. Or some translations say, be joyful. So to rejoice means to show great joy or great delight. Is this really ringing a lot? Okay. It's fine? Okay. So to, to show great joy or great delight, how do we rejoice always? You can rejoice always when you remember who you are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I mean, if anything should bring you joy, if anything should bring you delight, it's the fact of knowing who we are and how he looks at us, how he treats us, how he feels towards us. And there's nothing in the world that could take away that, that level of joy that we should feel each and every day. And not just daily, it's almost minute by minute because when you snap into that realization, I'm a daughter or son of the Most High God, I'm one of the King's kids, what, what can possibly take you out? We hold the keys to happiness no matter what, just knowing that God's in charge. I said a couple weeks ago, my wife, um, when raising our children and now raising our grandchildren, one of her greatest sayings is, everything is fixable. So whenever something would happen, something would go wrong, uh, something would get broken, she would say, everything is fixable. And kind of that attitude is what I think we have to have to know that we can have joy always because there's nothing that happens that can't be fixed. There's nothing that God himself can cannot remedy. He can do all things. And I mean, what greater joy could we have in having that peace, knowing who we serve and the fact that he can right every wrong? Um, my little granddaughter, uh, Evelyn, she's five. She's learned to challenge just about everything. So when my wife says everything is fixable, she'll say, no, Grandma, nutcrackers aren't fixable, glass is not fixable, and paper's not fixable. And she just keeps adding to her list because last Christmas, she smashed a nutcracker uh, into unidentifiable pieces. It was, it was trashed. And so, um, you know, she came to her dad, asked him to fix it, and he said it can't be fixed. And so that's her counterpoint. Whenever my wife says everything's fixable, she's like, not nutcrackers, not glass. But the fact is, is the peace that we should have is to know that God can do it all. Do you have any people in your life, friends, that you know that when they're in the room that everything's going to be okay because they just have that level of talent, they have that level of ability that you know that they can fix anything that can go wrong. And when you're in those people's presence, it just gives you that feeling of security, doesn't it? I remember in 1987, uh, many of you know, I worked for General Motors for 25 years. And uh, during my time there in 1987, there was a horrific plane crash at Metro Airport, Flight 255. Um, that time in my career, I was in the HVAC group, the heating, ventilation, air conditioning group, and nine, nine of my coworkers died that day. Um, nine of them that I worked with on a weekly basis, six that I worked with daily, and three, I mean, like, every day. And uh, so it was a horrific thing. And I remember the news was very graphic. Uh, they were showing all the details of the crash. Um, if you remember, they didn't get off the ground. The flaps did not go up. And they just slammed into an embankment on I-94 and uh, instantly killed everyone on the plane except one little girl who survived. And she's still alive, actually. Um, but you know, I remember talking to Pat Gleason, who was one of the engineers. And his wife was showing me his wedding ring. It was so bent you wouldn't even recognize it as a wedding ring because that's the, the impact that these guys are hit with. And it was very difficult um, in the next few days in working in that department in that situation trying to uh, fight off the media because they were trying to get um, inside scoops on what happened, what went wrong, uh, why were there nine engineers on the same flight, you know, was this a boondoggle? You know, they were accusing them of uh, just, you know, having a fun summer trip, which it wasn't. Uh, they were doing summer testing in the desert. And so you don't go to the desert in the summer on purpose, right? <laughs> so anyways, I, I just bring all that up to say that in the time of trying to understand 
the time of trying to make sense out of all this wreckage and all this carnage, I, I was just really having kind of a, a mini faith crisis, like, God, where are you? You know, seeing all these families. Can you imagine going to nine funerals in one week? It was crazy. And so I remember having breakfast with my friend Dave in the cafeteria, and uh, as we were talking about the wreckage and, and the impact and that, he said to me one thing. He says, all I know is God is still on his throne. That's what he said to me. He says, all I know is God is still on his throne. And you know what, guys? Instantly, a peace, a calm came over me. And I was able to minister to coworkers and everyone else because that's the answer, isn't it? That's always the answer. God is on his throne. He's sovereign. Those people were no longer in the pain and suffering of this daily life that we all go through. They were in a greater place. They were in God's glory. And to have that perspective, to me, that was my everything's fixable moment when he said that to me because with God, everything's fixable. And so that gave me a sense of in the trial, in the midst, that we can have joy. Pastor Steve spoke on Sunday and he was talking about James. He said, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. It sounds so foreign. It sounds so cliche, doesn't it? But you know what? There's a, there's a joy. There's a peace that can come in the midst of trials and suffering. And I know it makes no sense whatsoever, but I can attest to you that so many times I've talked to people um, at deaths of their loved ones, and they say, I can feel your prayers because God is with them, isn't he? He answers those prayers. And so we have the greatest joy because nothing can trump what God is doing in and through us as believers. It's almost like, I don't know if anybody here plays euchre, but when you play euchre and you know you got that right and left bower, you know, you got the two sure trump that you know that nobody can take away, that nobody can beat, and you have such a confidence when you have those cards. And that's what we have, right? We walk around with, with a power card, and we can play it any time we want, any time we wish. And I'll tell you what, that should bring a smile to your face. That should make your heart leap every time you think about it, because God is so good, and he's, he's given us that resource, you know? It's, it's just amazing. The word puts it this way. It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, that's what I want. I want that joy of the Lord to be my strength, the ever-present help in time of trouble. And that's who he is for us. And so rejoicing is basically worshiping, isn't it? I just rejoice. I just worship. God, you are so good. And, and that just washes over your soul. And so if you can begin to get into that pattern, to get into that loop, and each and every day you let that rejoicing wash over you, guess what? Your attitude is going to be so different. Number two, pray continually. This has been my life's quest, my life goal. I've shared with you guys before my testimony when it came to prayer because I had a really critical spirit. And, uh, you know, being trained as an engineer, that was my job to, to see where everything would fail, what's the weak spot of any part or any design. And so I would look at people in the same way. And so I saw everyone's flaws. I saw everybody's imperfections. And I became an accuser of the brethren. And we all know what spirit that is, that accuser spirit. And I was reading a book by Rick Joyner, and he made a statement. He said, you are either an accuser or you are an intercessor. And I remember when I read that, I tossed that book aside. And after a while, I thought, why did that, why did that make me react? Why did I throw the book? You know, what was it that hit me so hard on that statement? Because it seemed like an all or nothing statement. It seemed like an overstatement. But as I began to ponder, he was right. Either you're accusing or you're praying. You're interceding. And so that was my, my quest, is to become someone who would be a, a person that was known as an intercessor, no longer being known as an accuser. So that pray continually it's the same root word for a hacking cough, okay? What is it about a hacking cough? It's not like you cough 24-7 nonstop, but it's, it's frequent and it's persistent, isn't it? It's always there. It's that tickle, and it just can go off at any time, and it's continual. Brother Lawrence, many of you are familiar with his book, Practicing the Presence of God, 
He was a, a monk, and when he lived in the monastery, he learned to practice talking with God night and day. No matter what he was assigned to do, his attitude was constantly another opportunity for me to commune with God. Whether he was scrubbing the floors or peeling potatoes, he saw each one of those as an opportunity to get spend time uh, communing with God. And so he was in constant communication. And that's the goal, isn't it? To get in that place of constant prayer, constant communication, where we're firing up prayers to God all the time, that it's so second nature, that it's so ingrained in our character that we don't even realize that we're praying anymore. I told you before, I realized that I became an intercessor when I found myself in movie theaters praying for the movie and the characters in the movie, you know? And it's like, what am I doing? You know, this is a movie. But it was so second nature. It was so ingrained. It's just like there's a problem on that screen, and I need to pray. And knowing now it doesn't change the outcome one bit, right? But, but it was just that level. And that's the level that we got to get to, guys. we got to get to that place where we're instant in prayer, where everything that happens, we just, like, have to know what to do. I was on my way here today, and out of the blue, an ambulance was coming up Kelly Road, and uh, sitting at the light, three abreast, and there's nowhere this ambulance is going to go. And I'm just like, Lord, what do I do? And he said, run the red light. And, uh, you know, so I just went through the red light, you know, I made sure it was safe, and the ambulance got through, and they waved and said thank you because they weren't held up at the light waiting for the light to turn red for me to get, or green for them to get out of the way. But, but you can just pray, Lord, show me what to do. Lord, help me, and he'll help you every single time. So I have this slide, like I said, the only slide today, but when I was thinking about this loop, because it's rejoicing and praying and thanking and rejoicing and praying and thanking. And that's like a chain, isn't it? It's like a loop. It's like a bracelet. It's one thing builds on the next. And I remember as a boy, whenever your bike would throw the chain, and some of you know this, some of you don't, but where I have prayer, you can see that's a different color link. Um, there's a lot of better examples of this, but I couldn't get one that wasn't so grainy. But sometimes you couldn't get the chain back on the bike. So we had friends that would come over to our place because I had three brothers and my dad had every tool known to man so we could fix anything. So they'd come over and the little secret that we knew is you could pop off that one link, which is called the master link, right? Everybody know this trick? And you'd pop that master link off the chain and you'd squeeze the chain back together and put the master link back on and people thought you're a mechanical genius. But the master link is what held the chain together, right? both ends of the chain. So I see one end is the rejoicing end, the other end is the giving thanks, and the prayer is that master link in the middle that holds it together. So ladies, it's like the clasp on your bracelet, right? That clasp that holds it together, both ends. And so I like to think of this scripture, and when I do, I think of prayer as being that master link in the chain that holds it all together. So prayer is just simply talking to God. It's that simple. You know, we need to learn to talk to God all the time. Just like you would with your spouse in the morning, your spouse at lunchtime, your spouse at dinner time, your spouse before you go to bed, right? It's constant communication, constantly talking. And that's how we need to be with the Lord, just constantly sharing our heart and constantly listening for what he has to say. I was counseling a young girl, and I shared this with you a while back, but... I was so amazed by her answer because I always like to find out where people are spiritually. And I asked her, I said, do you pray? And she says, yes, I pray. And she was one of these people that gives these like one word answers. And so I wanted to know more. I was trying to engage her. I was trying to get her to dialogue a little bit. And I said, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me what happens when you pray. How do you pray? She said, I listen. I said, you listen? She said, yeah. I said, what a great answer. I mean, I don't know of anybody who's ever told me that prayer is just listening. And that's what she does. She gets before the Lord and she just listens. And I thought that's remarkable because we've all been taught how to pray petition prayers. Lord, I want this. Lord, can you do that? Lord, for this, for that, you know. And so we have our whole list 
and we just rattle off our list and then we walk away not feeling so fulfilled because prayer is just a list of petitions. But when you learn to dialogue with God, when you learn to converse with God, when you learn to speak and to listen, and all of a sudden you begin to volley back and forth and you have this, this intimate conversation with God, it changes everything, doesn't it? And uh, that's how Moses was, right? We saw last week that Moses spoke face to face as a friend speaks to another. I mean, is that the level of relationship that you have with God right now? Can we say that we are friends of God, that we dialogue with him, that we speak face to face, that he knows us by name? If it's not, you know, we need to get to that point where we can do that. David said last week we, we were looking that he said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And he said, your face, Lord, will I seek. So are we constantly seeking his face? Are we constantly seeking to hear his voice? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, Paul's telling us the secret to prayer, the secret to happiness, the secret to joy. This is a man who was beaten, who was stoned, who was shipwrecked, who was left for dead. You know, none of this stuff could shake him because this is the place that he lived in. This was the characterization of his relationship with God. And he didn't have to be anxious about anything because he knew in every situation that he could pray and give thanks to God. And the peace of God always resided on him, always rested on him. Paul, when he wrote Philippians, when he wrote this very scripture, he was in prison. In the book of Philippians, he uses joy and rejoice 14 times. 14 times. He says, just rejoice, be joyful. And he was in the worst of the worst, in a prison with rats, being beaten, being treated like human trash. And it didn't affect him. It didn't change his outlook. He was able to have joy in the midst of his suffering. Um, you know, how little does it take us to start murmuring and complaining? You know, you put your order in at Burger King at the speaker and you pull around and in 18 seconds, if that hamburger isn't ready, if those fries aren't ready, what are you doing? You're murmuring and you're complaining, right? And how much different did they have it? And they learned to live against that backdrop of hostility and, and just that, that just excruciating pain that they had to endure. And, you know, a time is coming. We all know. We all sense it. We all feel the impending things that are visiting this, this nation of ours, right? And uh, the persecution that is heading our way. And how will we be able to handle it? How will we be able to deal with it? Unless we start right now learning how to process our joy, how to pray, and how to give thanks. This is a really important message. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's John 10, 27. So if you don't know his voice, if you can't say with certainty, I know that I know that I know that I can hear God's voice. I know that I can hear it in an instant. I know I can hear it at all times because God is speaking all the time, right? We said it's like these airwaves right now are just loaded with signals. There's signals just being bombarded in this room. And if you have the right crystal, you have the right frequency, you can tune into any radio station and, um, and pull that signal out of the air. And so we have to train our spirits that when God is speaking, I want to be able to tune in and listen and hear his voice, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's going on around me. I want to spend a little extra time on prayer and give you some... Um, just some practical ways to help your prayer life. And so on your outlines, I have some, God, some ways that God speaks. So number one, the Bible, the Logos, right? The Logos is the written word. And so you can pick up a Bible anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and you can begin to read this. And what happens? God starts to minister his word to you, doesn't he? He starts to come and just highlight this to you. And so no matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're reading, 
you have God's direct word being spoken to you. Great care has been taken to hand this down from generation to generation. This is one of the greatest gifts you'll ever be given in your life. And so we need to treasure this. We need to see it for what it is. It's precious, and it's our roadmap to God, and it's testimonies of all those who have gone before us that have had these rich encounters with God. So that's one way that God will speak to you is through his word. Number two, the still small voice or the rhema word of God. And that's what I really want to help you to understand that as God is speaking all the time, are you tuned in? Do you get the rhema words? Do you feel him speaking in your spirit? And can you tune into that? And so I'm going to share with you a couple ways to get the ball rolling. And these are some crutches, some tools to get you started. But once you get started, you should be able to be listening to God's voice 24-7 in any instant, any situation. There's the audible voice of God. Um, not many people have reported hearing it, but some people do. And when you hear the audible voice of God, there's no mistaking it. And um, I myself have heard it twice in my life. And I'll tell you the truth. It's, it's something that you'll never, ever forget because God sometimes speaks audibly, okay, to get our attention. God speaks through other people, right? You'll be talking to someone, and all of a sudden, they'll say something, and, I mean, your head will actually whiplash, won't it? Like, how did you know that, or why did you say that? Unbeknownst to them, they'll say the very thing that God is speaking to you or the very thing that you needed to hear in a circumstance. And so people are so important. That's why we need each other. That's why the church is living stones. And we get the opportunity to help others. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're talking to someone and you're giving them counsel, and it becomes that counsel that comes directly from the throne room, and then all of a sudden you give that word, and even you are amazed that that came out of your mouth, right? It's like, whoa, where did that come from? I even need to write that down. That was a God word. That was God using you to communicate to that other person or using that other person to communicate directly to you. And so it's an amazing thing when God uses us to be his mouthpieces, to be his oracles. That's why I love the prophetic team so much. That's why I love the prophetic so much. Do you understand what an honor and what a privilege it is that God would use us to represent him and to speak for him. And it's such a high honor that we hold it in such high regard and we wanna make sure that we steward it properly every single time. And it's amazing that when you hit those home runs in the prophetic, there's nothing like it. We had a baptism here Sunday, uh, first service. I don't know if anybody was here, first service, but the young girl that was being baptized, her name was Raina Brown, thank you. And um, so anyways, one of the people on the prophecy team, before each baptism, we read off prophetic words, and they said, we asked the Lord what Bible character you most represented, and they said, Queen Esther. So during the baptism, Pastor Emily knew that Raina meant queen. Her first name means queen, and her middle name was Esther. So, you know, someone was praying a week before this baptism, doesn't know this little girl, but just seeks the Lord, and the Lord personally and intimately reiterates and confirms the name that she's been given at birth, and God says, that's who you are. Keep it where you got it, right? It's amazing, isn't it, that God uses us to do that. And it's so intimate, it's so personal when God does that. It just, just is unbelievable. A story I tell all the time when I teach the prophecy classes, a friend of ours uh, she was on the fence with the whole prophetic thing, and she didn't know what to think about prophecy rooms, and she really had a problem with personal presbyteries. She really had a problem with people giving personal prophecies. She believed that you could give a prophecy to the congregation, but giving a prophecy to someone, she thought that was too much like fortune telling. So we went to Kansas City to the International House of Prayer, and we signed her and her husband up for uh, an appointment in the prophecy room, and we went with them. Unbeknownst to us, she told the Lord, she says, I won't believe any of this is real unless you call me by my code name. 
So as the people began to pray for her, people 800 miles from her home, people who have never met her, people didn't even know what her name were, was, and they started off by saying, Cindy, I don't know what this means, but I'm just going to say it. The Lord said for me to tell you, you are his Princess Barbie. And all of a sudden, she just started weeping because anytime she prayed, the Lord would say, oh, my Princess Barbie. And um, so that, that just validated to her that God is surely in this place. And guess what? It got her attention, didn't it? It totally got her attention. So that's the kind of God we serve. He's so intimate. He knows every detail. He knows us by name, and he even has a special name for each and every one of us. So just amazing to see how the prophetic works. Life circumstances, things will happen in your life, and you just wonder, what in the world was that all about? You know, is that God speaking or what? Um, I like Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson talks about signs and wonders, but he talks also about signs that make you wonder. Um, did you ever have those that something happened and you knew that had to be prophetic, that had to be a God thing? I remember one evening uh, I was ministering at IHOPE. Um, IHOPE was a prayer ministry that we used to run, and um, it was over on 10 Mile, and we'd have a Friday night service, and during that Friday night service, we were just having a testimony time, and I was sitting in the front row, and a young man came forward, and he had a watch. Um, he started talking about this watch and how he worked for Pepsi, Pepsi-Cola company. And he said that he was a salesperson, and he said all he wanted to do was win the contest because this watch that he was wearing was the grand prize. He said it was a very expensive watch, and he said he had his eye on this watch forever, and he said he won the watch the night before. But he said the whole time he was trying to get that watch, he knew inside it wasn't for him. And he said when they presented him with the watch, he felt like it wasn't for him. And he said when he put the watch on, it wasn't his watch. And so he said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this watch? And that night he walked up to me and handed me the watch. He says, I'm supposed to give this to you. So, <laughs> okay. I, I like watches, but, you know, I, it was, I, I didn't know. I didn't understand. So he gives me this watch. And he says, I'll be back next week, and I'll bring you the box. He said, the box is just as nice as the watch. <laughs> so I'm driving home, right? And I'm thinking, Lord, that's got to be a sign and a wonder. It's a sign that makes you wonder. And I'm praying, Lord, what are you saying to me? Like, what time is it? Or to know the time, to know the season? And I'm just racking my brain. And I'm like, Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord said, consider how your day started. I'm like, what? He said, consider how your day began. I'm thinking, well, I got up, you know, did my shower, everything, and that morning I had to pick my daughter up and drive her to work. Her car broke down. And so as we're driving to work, she was telling me that her boss, when she hits her 10-year anniversary, buys her a string of pearls, a pearl necklace from Ahi Jewelers on Mac and Gross Point. And I mean, this is high-end stuff, right? This wasn't a trinket. This was something to work for 10 years to, to get. And she said, isn't it amazing? And so we we're talking about the perks and the benefits that she got on her job. And I remember telling her, Esther, when I started GM, when I got five years in, they eliminated the five-year service award right when I got five years in. So I didn't get my five-year service award. Then when I got 10 years in, they eliminated the 10-year service award. <laughs> then the 15, right? And then I worked at GM for 24 years and six months, and I was about to get my watch from GM, and I didn't get my watch because I was six months shy of getting my watch. And then the Lord said, you got your watch today, right? And so that watch was God's gift because all those times I felt I was passed over, all those times I felt I was neglected, and God gave me that as a sign of his love and his care and he's like, you're in my service now. I'll take care of you. And it's amazing how God works, isn't it? So God can work through other people. Dreams and visions. I can't tell you how much dreams and visions enter into our lives. It says in the last days that we'll have an increase in dreams and visions, right? 
And so as we get closer and closer to the last day, we have to understand that dreams and visions are going to play a major role in each and every one of our lives. And I love examining dreams. I love hearing dreams. And I love one of the things that we do in the prophecy team is diagram dreams to try to understand and see what it is that God's communicating because he's speaking all the time. And sometimes he can't get our attention. Some of us are so ADD. Some of us are so focused on watching TV or being preoccupied or being entertained that the only time he can get through to us is in the night watch, in the night season. So in our beds at night, sometimes he'll drop a dream into our spirit. Pay attention to those. Write those down and begin to ask God, what does this mean? Um, you know, why did you give me this? I realize that some dreams we call pizza dreams, right? It might have been just something you ate the night before. But sometimes it's really something significant, and it's really a God thing. And so as the end times get near, we're going to have an increase in dreams and visions. So as Christians, it's something that we should know how to do. We should know how to key in and understand and how to interpret dreams because there's so many messages that are being bombarded right now through dreams. So those are some ways that God speaks. Um, the next part, uh, intimacy is the Lord's desire. So prayer is just another word for intimacy where we just begin to know God's heart, to know God's will. Keeping a journal, that is so important. And I talk about this so many times to so many people, and there's so few people who do it. But if you can learn to keep a journal, I guarantee you, you will have breakthrough after breakthrough. And eventually you won't need the journal, but the journal is just there to get you started. So tonight on your way home, stop at CVS, stop at Walgreens, go somewhere and get yourself a journal and begin to document your history with God because God is speaking all the time. And so fine-tune your spiritual ears and just write it down. It's so important that we have that written history. And so what I do in my journal, I'll just write a date and then I'll write out an opening prayer. Good morning, Lord. I love you. Thank you for this day. Or whatever's on my heart, Lord, would you speak to me about this situation? And then I wait and I listen. Just like that 16-year-old girl told me. She goes, I listen. Do you ever stop and just listen? Lord, what do you want to say to me? So as you listen, just begin to write down whatever it is that he's dropping in your spirit. Now, sometimes that might be your flesh. Sometimes it might not be from God. But you know what? You can judge it later. Just write it down and, and just journal it. When you journal, you're creating an expectancy. When I sit down with my journal every morning, I expect God to speak. Does he speak every day? No. I can show you page after page in my journal that starts off with my opening paragraph and nothing. And sometimes I get interrupted, and I'll put interrupted. Um, you know, someone came to my office, got a phone call, whatever. I'll write that down just so I know what happened. But there's a lot of days where it's just silence, right? Some days you just can't get there. And I don't let that take me out. I just keep journaling. And, you know, maybe it's going to be three or four blank pages, but maybe that, that fifth page is going to be just a flow from God. So just one of the things to do is um, record the answers and partial fulfillments. I talked to you guys about that before, that when God starts answering, go back in your journal and write down, God answered that. This is how he answered it. And, and write it down because all of a sudden now you've got a history with God. And so when times get tough, you can say, God, I remember when you moved on my behalf. I remember when you did this. I remember when you answered this. And all of a sudden, that becomes such a builder of your faith. So a couple tips. I got removing outer noise. So when you sit down to, to, to pray, the best thing to do is set a time to listen. Find a time that works best for you. If you're a morning person, seek God in the morning. If you're a night owl, do it at night. But uh, for me, I'm, I'm a morning person. So that's how I like to start my day. First thing, I pull out my journal. You know, Lord, how are you doing today? Lord, what, what's in store? You know, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What, what's going on? But make an appointment. You know, set a time with God and keep it. Find a place to listen. It's got to be a place that's not a distraction, a place that doesn't take you out. 
You know, we talked before, you know, if you're sitting in your house, chances are you're going to see that crack in the ceiling that you never saw before, and it's going to drive you crazy. Just write it down, say, fix the crack later. But it should be a place that's free from distractions. Try to find a neutral place where you can go and say, this is my secret place, right? Many of you saw that uh, movie War Room where, you know, she had her prayer closet. You know, that's a great place to go because, you know, you're blocking out all those distractions. So it's a place where you can get quiet and a place that's free from distraction. Um, no cell phones, no pets, you know. Get rid of that phone. Put that phone somewhere else. Silence it. Turn it off. But don't even have it in the same room where it would be a temptation to look at it. Um, and then pay attention to your posture. And again, I talked about this before, about sitting versus kneeling versus pacing. You know, what is it that will keep you engaged? So find the posture that will keep you engaged. Next, removing that inner noise. You know, if you set aside time, if you make an appointment, if you say, this is my time with God, then guess what? Nothing else has priority over that. Stray thoughts come in, you just write those down. Confess any sin that the enemy might try to use to beat you up. Um, read scripture. Ask the Lord to speak to you in a way that you can understand and to protect you from deception in Jesus' name. You know, just offer up a prayer. Lord, I want this time to be between you and me. Don't allow any deceptions from the enemy. And most importantly, you can use worship music and to pray in the spirit are two things that, that really help you engage. And I'll tell you what, you start doing this and you develop this as a daily routine, as a daily way of life. You'll get to a point where I can sit in that back row and I've had times and I've shared with you before where God starts downloading. It's like, oh my, my goodness, what do I do with this? I've grabbed those offering envelopes and I rip them open because they're blank inside. I used to get in so much trouble with Denise because she, she was really protective of those envelopes, but sometimes it was the only blank piece of paper I could find, and I would just start journaling what the Lord is saying because I didn't want to lose it. I knew it was important, or maybe it was a word for somebody in the congregation. And so you start tuning in, you start tapping in, and God's speaking all the time, and you want to be able to capture those moments. And I got in my journal, I mean, bulletin, I, I'm sorry, offering envelopes that are torn open, and I just staple them right in there so I don't have to recopy it. But it's just like, it's just God will begin to download. And so just want to encourage you to get that point in your prayer life. And the last part of praying is test what you hear from God. Is it a clear word or an impression? Does it exalt Christ? You know, what is the message? What is the meaning? Is it scriptural? You know, everything that we hear from God should pass the scripture test, right? And we've talked before about candling a word, you know, holding that word up to the light to make sure that it is uh, pure and holy and it doesn't conflict with God's word. If it does, you throw it out. Can other Christians confirm it? You know, can you go to someone else and say, hey, I think this is what I heard from God. Do you bear witness to this? You know, do you have those people in your life that are those go-to people that have the authority to tell you, I think you're off base or that's right on? Um, and did God actually cause it to take place? You know, no better answered prayer than the one that actually happened. Okay. So just a little bit more. Number three, giving thanks. That's the last part of the chain. And we all recognize thanks as gratitude, recognition, gratefulness, and praise are part of the definition. And some of the antonyms are condemnation, disapproval, and criticism. So what characterizes your speech? Is your speech seasoned with gratitude, with recognition? Or is your speech constantly filled with condemnation, disapproval, and criticism? You know, what's flowing out of your fountain? You know, James, again, the book of James, just an amazing book. He says, salt water and fresh water should not come from the same source because that means you're double-minded. And so what is our speech like? Um, are you only this way on a Sunday and a Wednesday, or are you this way 24-7? You know, what is it that characterizes your speech? Because it says out of the, out of the heart 
I mean, you know, the mouth out of... <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I always get that tw twisted around. Thank you. But we want to know what's, what's in our heart, what's coming out through our mouth gate. So Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, and that it may benefit those who listen. I love that. In fact, that was on my computer at work because a lot of times you would give in to grumbling and complaining, and it would be that unwholesome talk. And if you do a root search on that word, it's comparing that unwholesome talk to rotting fish. You know, so is rotting fish coming out of your mouth, or is it wholesome talk? Is it talk to build up those people who are listening? Have you ever been caught in gossip or tearing someone down and you see the look on the face of others around you? It's like all of a sudden you realize, wow, I just caused that person to stumble. I just caused that person to have a bad attitude towards whoever I was running down. And I got sick of doing that. I got sick of that happening in my life. I wish I could say I'm 100% over it, but I'm doing a lot better because you start to understand that it hurts other people and the damage that it does, right? So do we have thanksgiving out, coming out of our mouth? It's easy to learn once you can connect the dot between offered prayers and answered prayers. And that's what I try to do all the time is connect the dots. I prayed this and that happened. I prayed this and God responded this way. And all of a sudden, when you learn to connect the dots, you begin to see that God is answering prayer all the time. What do you do with that? You give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That one got through. That one got to you. Lord, you moved on my behalf. Lord, you moved on their behalf. And all of a sudden, you just have this attitude of gratitude. One of my mentors put it this way to me. He said, learn to rehearse the good things. I love that. Learn to rehearse the good things. So what does that mean? It means all day long. Oh, I remember when God did that. Oh, I remember when I got this favor. You know, I love following my wife around because I'm the guy that never gets the parking space. I'm the guy that never gets waited on first. My food always comes last, you know, and, and she always says, it's because you think like that. <laughs> I'm like, how does that have anything to do with it? But she, she has favor. I mean, wherever she goes, she has favor. And I tell her, it's easy for you to give thanks because everything goes right, you know. And she has people giving her things and, you know, knocking money off the price. And, you know, if I ask for a discount, people are like, what are you trying to pull, you know. And, and it's just like she just has this favor that people will say, oh, here's two for one. Or we have this coupon nobody knows about, but I get to use it on one customer and you're that customer. You know, she's that person. And, and so it's easy for her to give thanks because there's plenty of opportunities to give thanks. And I'm always looking for that opportunity, but I'm learning to give thanks even when those things don't happen, you know? When my food comes last, thank you, Lord. You said the last shall be first, you know, <laughs> and whatever. So trying to turn something positive out of it. But if you begin to do that, guess what? Your attitude really does change, doesn't it? It really has a way of turning things around. So we overcome the, the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and the third part is loving our lives not unto death. Not loving our lives unto death. But the word of our testimony is so important. It's so powerful. So what's your testimony? Oh, woe is me. You know, my life is horrible. Or is your testimony something like, God is so good. You know, he just moved on my behalf. And just a constant, continual giving of thanks. I love the story of the ten lepers. And the Lord has just really been hammering me with this because... When we ran IHO for 12 years, we prayed for the city of Detroit, and we saw Detroit through its darkest moments. We saw it through the bankruptcy. We saw it through um, uh, the administration that was so corrupt, and God cleaned house, and, and the mayor was gone, and the city council was gone. And then all of a sudden, he rose up entrepreneurs in the city to begin to take ownership and interest in the city. And all of a sudden, everything has changed. And I don't know if you've been to the downtown districts, but Detroit is finding its way back. And so I just want to be part of those as giving thanks to God because every article written about Detroit 
in Time Magazine and U.S. News, they couldn't throw enough dirt on our grave. And now all of a sudden we're reemerging and we're just blossoming and we're coming back. And I just want to be those that, that are grateful and thankful. And so I keep thinking about the 10 lepers. And you know the story, I won't go into it, but when the one came back and said, Lord, thank you, thank you so much. And the Lord said, weren't there nine others? You're the only one that came back, and you are a foreigner, and the other nine didn't come back and give thanks. So that tells you right there how important gratitude and thankfulness is to the Lord, isn't it? Because he wanted to see people coming back and thanking him, acknowledging him. And so are you connecting the dots for all the times that God is faithful in your life and, and answering your prayers and moving on your behalf? The Old Testament says we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and we enter his courts with praise. So these, these things are the entrance, they're the gateways to God's heart and to God's, God's intimacy is rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. So if you've ever had a shampoo bottle and you've read the instructions, right, it says apply, lather, rinse, repeat. And so that's this, right? It's rejoice, pray, thanks, repeat. Rejoice, pray, thanks, repeat. And so it's a continual cycle, and we need to learn how to do that. So tonight, in, in closing, just want to spend time just giving thanks to God. You know, what better thing do we have to do? And so I think it would be right for us to spend some time. You know, we as a church body, we as a church family, we have so much to be thankful for. You know, just being in the city of Detroit, being in the city of Roseville, um, our homes, our families. Jim and Jan, they just got a tremendous testimony. In fact, we'll start off with letting Jim share, if that's okay to share that. Um, just what God has done for their family. And so let's just spend some time and we'll just give some testimonies and we'll just give thanks to God. How's that sound? That we just take time out and say, God, thank you for all that you're doing in and through us. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. And we just thank you that you're teaching us, that you're training us to rejoice always, to pray continually. Lord, that we just enter into your presence wherever we go, whatever we do, that our hearts are just filled with gratitude. And, Lord, now we just want to testify to all those in this room and before the angels in heaven that you are so good, that you are so great, that, that you've done so much. We just want to testify and give thanks this night to leave this place with our hearts filled with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.